Hello everyone and welcome to Much Better People. This is a podcast created to be alongside you during those transitional times in life, but especially the ones that kick in your ass a little bit more than others. I'm your host Somya and each week I'm joined by a new guest to discuss their loves and losses and the lessons that they've learned from those things that they'll bring moving forward into the future. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Brian O'Keefe. Um, I discovered Brian on an Instagram, some sort of algorithm must have made us meet. Um, he'd made a reel which talked about his journey towards weight loss, but what really struck me was more to do with the kind of mental resilience that he was talking about in that journey. And actually, he was quite unique in the sense that he kind of told everyone to fuck off, in, in a nice way, um, <laughs> went off into, I guess, somewhere that was, you know, a bit more um, remote and really just got to work with working extremely hard there was no way kind of round this journey he really just had to push through to get the results that he needed so I just ask you if it's okay to just introduce yourself a little bit you know where do you come from and where did you kind of grow up I guess yeah so I'm Brian uh, O'Keefe I, I grew up in in a, a small town in the south of Ireland called Mallow in Cork um, and then I, I left that when I was about 12 and moved to quite close to Dublin and then I've worked in London and uh, moved to Mallorca two years ago and so that's where I've been since. Oh wow okay so I never asked you what is it that you do for work I mean, you don't have to say if you don't want to. No, I, I consult for startups in London, so a range of kind of product marketing operations, project management, you know, oh, right. any anything they need, fundraising. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of my uh, my area of expertise. Okay, I see. What would you kind of say was your uh, for initial catalyst, I suppose, in terms of losing weight? Can you remember a time when you were like, right, I'm going to do this now? Well, there, there was hundreds of times throughout the yeah. years, almost nightly from, you know, when I started putting on weight until, um, you know, uh, November when, when this, this kind of process started. I suppose if you're asking what's different this in November mm-hmm. was there was two things. And one of them was um, a podcast I listened to by a, a Hollywood actor called Ethan Suplee, and uh, he had lost... Like way more weight than I, I ended up losing, like I think two or three hundred pounds. Okay. And he said, uh, I forget almost everything he said in the podcast. I forget except for one thing. He said, uh, "Why does nobody do an analysis of why they fail to lose weight?" And that just it hit me like a lightning bolt. I was like, I've tried so many things and I've never really looked at why I continue to fail. And so that was that was one part, and then almost I think a week later, I started uh, listening to the audio book of David Goggins's "Can't Hurt Me." Um, I'd had it in my audio library for three years, and uh, I'd never gotten past the third chapter because his childhood is so was so tough. It's it's tough listen, but after I did that, that just changed my perspective and everything. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so it was more around analyzing, you know, your mindset around losing weight and. I mean, you know, kind of forgive me if I'm being quite naive. So that's not something I've ever had to do. Um, And when I've seen people around me on that kind of journey, I've seen how difficult it is, but obviously I don't have a first-hand account. Um, So with you going back a little bit, when was it that I suppose you were aware that losing weight was something, would you say that you needed to do for your own well-being and and your health? Yeah, I mean, I I would say I was sick. Um, and it was it was weighing on 
my mind it was weighing on my family's minds it was weighing on my friends minds you know 24 stone isn't just or you know 153 kilograms it's not you know just a little bit overweight it's 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 you know morbidly obese or mm-hmm. you know it's really really uh way too big and uh yeah and like I was obese as a well I wasn't obese as a child I was overweight as a child like from probably the ages of eight to twelve and okay. uh then I I started playing sport in school and managed to play at a decent level and by the time I was 18 I was in really I was pretty you know my physical shape would have been probably a, quite athletic and I had a serious knee injury at 19 and that just I stopped playing sport after that and the weight just started to pile on from then right okay understanding so actually so some people's journeys I suppose is that weight's been there their whole life really mm. um and I certainly know people like that um and seeing them at school kind of struggle to to lose that weight um so yours was more, more kind of like you were fit and healthy and then and then it kind of came back on yeah I, I must have always had a propensity for it mm-hmm. uh you know I love food so uh, yeah. I, I definitely indulge uh but yeah um uh, yeah it was it was kind of a mixed journey of kind of a little bit fat to athletic to fat fatter and really 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 obese yeah yeah and in terms of that kind of um escalation into what you've said you know being obese I know it's not one day you wake up and you're like oh know it's in you know it's incremental was there anything else that was going for you on for you that I guess was making it hard for you to really lose that weight and and start to become a bit healthier uh there was a number of things I suppose uh, at different times in my life uh you know I'd break up a serious relationship would have been one um I used to in my university years I used to smoke a lot of marijuana and that kind of Help me forget that mm-hmm. I was uh, I was fat, and you know, and then because I was doing that, I'd eat more, and then you know, in later uh, in later years, yeah, it was just it became kind of a vicious cycle. So um, I, you know, I used food as kind of my source of pleasure to mask the pain of being overweight. And it, then it's a vicious cycle because you use food to mask the pain to be overweight, but you're becoming more overweight because you're using food and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, if it's your only source of pleasure in the day, it's very difficult to 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 look yourself in the mirror and see yourself getting kind of fatter and fatter. Yeah, and I suppose it's not like some... I'm not saying necessarily it was an addiction, although that's what it sounds like when you describe it. Um but other addictions you can cut out essentially mm. and with food you can't do that you can only really manage your relationship with it and that really struck me because there's no again it's that concept of there's no other way around that you have to you either manage it and you get better and you lose weight and you feel better or you don't and you're stuck in that cycle and inevitably you know like you said the weight you were it was going to be you know detriment to your health so it's also dangerous Mm. Um, I'm quite interested, and again, I've said before, you know, obviously I might be asking you some personal questions. If you don't want, want to answer them, you don't have to. Um, no, you mentioned, <laughs> that's good. Um, the breakdown of a relationship as being part of, I guess, something that maybe exacerbated that, that kind of craving, that comfort, which was food for you. Mm. Um, 
Can you tell us a little bit about that? Do you think that's relevant to your story? Do you think that was a big kind of catalyst for, uh, you know, putting on weight or going back to food? No, I suppose it, it may be to not the breakup itself wasn't the catalyst to put on weight. I was already, I think, 20 stone when we broke up. Okay. Uh, it was more the I didn't. It was the first time of when I was really heavy where I like it kind of it's like shattering the glass and you're like, oh, my God. You know, the relationship kind of was keeping me from seeing how overweight I was. It was kind of, you know, if you get me. So yeah. when 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 that break, when the breakup happened, it changed everything in terms of me looking at myself. I was and I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to change. Um, so that that was probably more. It wasn't a catalyst to put on more weight. It was more. It it opened my eyes for the first time to the position I was in, and yeah, yeah and and then I, when I you know I tried to like open my eyes properly and because uh, I had tried to change you know during the relationship but only because other people wanted it and not because I wanted it and yeah. yeah and then even when I wanted it I couldn't do it which is far more frustrating yeah yeah I understand that and I think as well so in that relationship was the other when you say other people wanted you to do it I assume friends and family as well because you know they're an influence yeah. in, in, in most people's lives and your partner at the time was she or he overweight as well, or was it a different no, no. kind of dynamic? No, she. I would say maybe a couple of pounds, but likely wouldn't have considered her overweight. Right. Okay. okay. I was just wondering about that in terms of, um, you know, that comfort and familiarity. You know, if somebody, if you were in a relationship with somebody that was going through something similar to you, that that might make sense as well. Um, mm. No, I remember we uh, we were at an event one time. It was a black tie event, and it was probably I'd say it must have been close to the end of the relationship because I was very heavy. And uh, the people were sitting, you know, you're just put at a table for the dinner, and uh, the people, the guy I was sitting beside, asked us were we friends. He couldn't believe that she was my girlfriend because of the no, difference okay. in our physical appearances. Okay, all right. So is that moment of oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's so many of them, but that was definitely <laughs> okay. one I, I haven't forgotten. Yeah. And one of the things that strikes me about you is you just seem very warm and optimistic and happy. <laughs> and oh, maybe you. you're not. <laughs> you don't like the episode yet, but I think it's genuine. Um, yeah, sure. I can be very cynical as well, but uh, oh, yeah, okay. it depends right, we'll on the situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I'm interested in, because often as well I find people that are quite bubbly or like, you know, just very warm, very easy to talk to on the outside. Often I do find have had a struggle. And I think sometimes that's part of why they are so, I guess, amenable or friendly and, and you can kind of relax into them a little bit because um, maybe they know that struggle of feeling a little bit on the outside. And, you know, you've just mentioned one anecdote there, which would make you feel lesser, perhaps a little bit. Um mm. So in terms of, I guess, your journey towards not just losing weight, because like you said, it's around kind of recognising that you needed to think about why, you know, maybe you were using food as this coping mechanism and, and this comfort. Um, what kind of conversations were being had as, as you were growing up around your weight? Was it something that was really quite shamed or, 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 or accepted? How, how was it kind of viewed? I was always known, they, I think my, my family's called me hollow legs from the ages of about six to, to about 11 because mm -hmm. I used to eat so much food. I'd go out to a restaurant with them and I'd eat an adult's meal and I'd finish it. And uh, so 
my parents yeah it wasn't a problem for ages and then all of a sudden I was eating so much food that I you know I started to put on weight and I had a belly like you know for a 10 year old um not like read like I would say not more than a stone overweight but still overweight and that's when I remember being out with my parents and them telling me about it and I because I had you know I was a kid I didn't realize it and it's probably my oldest memory um and it was my bro- myself, my brother, my parents, my oldest memory of being fat. And they said it to me and I broke down. I started crying. I, you know, and my brother took me out for a walk and we walked um, and, you know, it was super supportive and like, it was like, don't worry about them. But that's, that's kind of, yeah, my oldest kind of memory of, of people talking to me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty soon after that, I started playing sport, not because of that. I, I, it was just part of the, I, I played a lot of sport anyway anyway at that age but I went to a boarding school so you know your meals are more kind of strictly um, managed at a boarding school and you're playing sports just so much all the time so uh, yeah I just became and I I, yeah I I loved I love sports so just naturally became more athletic I didn't even have to think about losing weight at that stage it just happened and yeah yeah, it wasn't until I was like kind of 18 19 that uh, it started to come on again okay so as yeah, I suppose having that environment that's more restricted for you, and then growing, I guess mm. as well, and you know we see that sometimes around that age nine, ten, eleven, kids can be a, a bit bigger, and and then they go through puberty, and and sometimes, you know, they grow and and that weight falls off, and then it stays off because it was just kind of a smaller part of their lifestyle at that time, you know, kind sure, of puppy yeah. fat type of thing, rather than maybe a like you said, you really liked eating, and that's fair mm. enough like I know people like that and um there's not necessarily anything wrong with that in a sense you know we're encouraged to eat as children or at least I was you know you finish your plate and you do this and eating yeah. culturally I think in this society um isn't something as a child I don't think that's really shamed um I think that does change as you get older and obviously you start to be a bit more aware of your surroundings um you know, and I don't know about what's cool and what's not cool as you become a teenager. Um, but it must be quite maybe a confusing one, having grown up, you know, you mentioned your friends and family already and obviously you really care for them. You said that food and eating is, is a big part of of just life as well and connecting and culturally we see, you know, amongst many different cultures that food really unites people. Um, is that something that you found in your home as well? I mean, being Irish, my dad is Irish. Um, actually and he's from Cork was born Ah, so (laughs) um, (laughs) I know what it's like to go around and and my mum's Indian so I eat both ways I'm (laughs) I have to eat (laughs) yeah very food Um, yeah 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 orientated and it's quite funny because you might explain to some I'm not saying necessarily this is exactly your experience but for example I might go see you know my dad's best friend Ted his mum you go around to a house and it's like it's not a question like whatever she puts in front of you you will eat like it's it's mm. almost unfathomable you know there's been times where I've been like I can't eat that third piece of ham like <laughs> yeah, or I can't yeah. you know she'll literally put down half a cheesecake and I'll be like I don't know what you want me to do with this but <laughs> and mm. then there's almost that uh that look like oh oh we don't know what to do now you know it's it's yeah. broken some sort of unwritten code um but I don't know if without your family necessarily has elements of that 
Well, that was never a problem for me. I was going to finish it. You could okay. keep on giving me more and I'd keep on eating it, even like that my whole life. Uh, so, but in terms of, yeah, family kind of, my family have a natural tendency to have, you know, Sunday dinner, which would be like a roast piece of meat and potatoes and, you know, veg and like just loads of it. And we go out to restaurants a lot whenever we meet up you know I have a big family of four sisters and three brothers and we're spread all over the world so when we see each other it's it's kind of a, a celebration and we'll go out and yeah eat eat nice food and that's the way we kind of are <laughs> that's the way we always have been my whole life um so that that's probably fed in you know you really it's really hard like I would find it nearly impossible to lose weight if I was if I didn't cook every meal I had for those seven months you know so yeah. going out to a restaurant you've just no idea how much oil they're using or anything so you can just easily easily put on pounds yeah so I think that's quite a nice sort of introduction into a little bit around your relationship food essentially you know different everyone's relationship is a bit different you're just saying you know you enjoy you enjoyed it um but it was also something that you were using as comfort so if we're thinking a little bit more around the psychological impact of of having that much weight on um what kind of do you think you were having cycles in terms of your thoughts and your relationship with food? Is is it that, I guess, maybe it started out like, oh, I just like to eat. And as a child, that's a very innocent thing. You're not overthinking that necessarily. Um, when was it, I suppose, that... I know you said you put on weight after you were kind of 18, 19. Um, you'd been quite athletic. Was that just because you'd left that environment? Um, or was there more to it at that point? Yeah, I suppose it was multi multifactorial. Um, uh, you know, I'd I'd left the environment of boarding school, so it's a lot of freedom. Um, I, you know, I'd I'd been, I'd you know everything had kind of gone my way. I, um, so I I kind of got became lazy because of it. You know, I I got into a great university course. I you know met that girl who uh, you know were madly in love, and just everything was. Uh, you know, going swimmingly and I just kind of really stopped caring about anything apart from enjoying my life. And for me, enjoying my life was, you know, eating nice food all the time. It was certainly a part of it. So that's that's probably what happened. Okay. And what was that kind of time frame? Um, did you then just incrementally kind of put on the weight until you went away to, to lose it? How long was that? Yeah, it was always kind of two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And, you know, I'd had periods. I remember when I when I moved to London first, which would have been five years ago, I um, I started uh, a CrossFit and started tracking my calories. And I did that for five months. And then I went from about what, what I ended up starting at for this, so about 150 kilograms, I'd say down to maybe 110, something like that. Okay. And then I went out on a night out. I'd finished, I was doing an MBA in, in London and I finished the, my first set of exams five months later and went out for the weekend with all, all, my, the, all my MBA mm -hmm. crew, my friends and... That was the end of that. Within, I'd say, three months, I was back up to 140 easily. Um, so that was kind of very, 
you know that just happened again and again and again not quite maybe five months but I'd get a month or two months in and then something would happen I'd go out with my friends or I'd go out with my family mm-hmm. or I'd, you know just some some trigger I don't know they, they, those two are the main ones but other than that uh, I'm sure there were other ones you know um, and I'd be back to square one yeah yeah I'm so I'm not here to kind of psychoanalyze I'm not qualified to either <laughs> Um, but a lot of what you tell me sounds like addiction and is that something that you came across in the kind of literature or the things that you were using to help you with your mindset and food or do you not think that's right do you not think it it kind of was similar to that Mm, I mean I I know I love food Um, maybe maybe addicted it's not something I've really thought about much ever Um, you know I did think about addiction to marijuana in university I did probably that's the only time I've thought about addiction actually never really to food uh although you know you could you could absolutely be right um like still today I love food (laughs) you know and like I've probably watched every cooking video on YouTube so yeah I and I suppose what I've kind of morphed into is trying to take those videos and create low calorie versions of them uh Mm. with high protein and that's kind of my new angle with food is to I still eat a mountain of food, but it's it's very well thought out to the point where it's, uh, you know, in, I hack everything into so that it's 90% of the flavor and 50% of the calories. And that's the way I've kind of gone with it now. So, yeah, yeah like I say, I haven't thought about whether it's an addiction, but it, may, it, could, it could be. Uh, but at the moment, it's not, not uh, yeah. impacting my life. Yeah, necessar- not, it's not necessarily that, um, I guess, addiction is quite an overarching, it can be quite an overarching word to describe lots of different things. Um, and I think it's just when you were telling me about these cycles of, you know, you kind of have something that triggers you and then, um, you know, you have periods where you're less healthy or, or, you know, you put more weight on and then you go back to a place where you start to lose it. Um, and does it feel, because I'm kind of assuming by saying that when you lose the weight, you feel better and you feel healthier and, and life maybe feels a bit lighter. Um, so does does it feel like that to you? Do you think that it overall, um, when you had those periods of, of losing weight, psychologically you were in a better place? Because necessarily that might not be the case. I never got to where I am now, which is the issue. So even all those times I'd lost a bit, I was never... I never reached the finish line. Mm-hmm. So uh, you don't get the benefit if you don't reach the finish line. I mean, yeah. you, you try and get the benefit. You're telling everyone, oh, I've lost this and I'm going to get there. And then it becomes even worse. It becomes psychologically worse when you don't get there and you go back to where you were. So this is kind of part of the reason of shutting everyone out as well. You know, halfway through, I wanted to tell everyone <laughs> how it was going, yeah. but uh, but I didn't. And um, yeah, I, I it's only this time around that I've felt the benefits of it. Only this time yeah only since july okay so it's more that those times that you tried like you said you didn't push it far enough that you really felt the change and and the difference no every failure is like uh it's like another it's like death by a thousand knives it's just harder to, to to get going again every time uh so and i see it like loads of people have reached out to me now and i can even see it in what they're saying in their comments they're like we just i just don't want to start again and fail again it's exactly how i felt um yeah it's 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 mentally it's it's really tough yeah i can imagine and i think 
Failure for me is something that I've become a lot more interested in recently. <laughs> um, and I think um, when something happens in your life that kind of boosts a change or is a catalyst for change, you do start to analyse why you behave a certain way. Uh, mine wasn't necessarily weight loss, but, you know, there were some kind of behaviours around mental health and depression and things like that that were keeping me stuck. But it was a very odd process for me because outwardly no one would have really known anything was wrong but that was part of one of my I guess um coping one of my coping mechanisms weirdly was to make sure that other people didn't know I wasn't coping so it was a really vicious cycle um yeah and, and quite complex and actually the only the only way to kind of admit that I needed help was to fail at something and then I ended up I guess failing uh, a, you know, a few different things failed. So professionally, I had a kind of huge knockback, and then a relationship that was quite long failed in a way, um, and things like that. And then I think from kind of being at that place where there's nowhere else to go, and I kept saying to you, you kind of have to push through, or the other outcome is that you don't, and then things can become dangerous in different yeah. ways. Um, was a real. Uh, eye-opener for me and it was also a place where I was like wait a minute I'm really fascinated by failure because it was something that I'd avoided for so long that when it came to it and I did fail at something inevitably it was so much more of a, a huge thing for me um, yeah. and I wonder you know with your journey you're talking about death by a thousand cuts and all these smaller failures um I mean, it's not necessarily the same thing, but I guess for me, because I hadn't accepted the possibility of failing at something until I did, and then it was a very huge thing. Um, did it, I guess the way I'm trying to word this is, by having those setbacks with weight loss, were you able to kind of gain perspective in other areas of your life and think, well, you know, I haven't been able to achieve this, but I still have achieved other things. You know, like you said, you did an MBA and you're obviously a very successful person traditionally. Um, or, or was it just something that, that always kind of weighed on you and was a negative? It always weighed at me at night when I was in bed. Otherwise, during the day, I was happy. I would say I was a happy person 95% of the time, at least. Never really bothered me. Maybe if I was out with friends at the weekend or something like that. But otherwise, it it, it bothered me. Yeah, at night in bed, and mm -hmm. so so therefore, I, th during the day hours, I really yeah, I was able to kind of put it aside and focus on what whatever I was doing, whether it was work or education or uh, whatever it was, and it didn't it didn't tend to affect those areas. Maybe in terms of perception, sometimes, but you know that I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. But I'm sure there's a perception of people who are overweight that they're lazy. Um, but I mm -hmm. I suppose I fought hard to to um kind of destroy that perception yeah. um in in my career but you know that's why meeting new people is tough because you can prove it to someone but every new person you meet you have to prove it again yeah yeah I was wondering about that as well and I think there's been a lot of conversation that's changed kind of um socially and culturally especially recently online as well you know it is a stereotype that people who are fat are lazy or maybe even things like unhygienic or you know things that just don't necessarily ring true but mm -hmm. there seems to be this this idea that's been built up and it's instilled at quite a young age I think um but there has been kind of a movement not for men as much but there are people who are very overweight or obese 
um, who will say that they're happy, very happy being that weight, and that's not something that they'd want to change, um, and actually feel quite upset or sad about the fact that it's something you know they would be expected to change. Um, I don't see that for men as much, so I don't really know in terms of what you were surrounded by. Did you have other people around you that were also overweight that you knew and obese and were going through a similar struggle or kind of trying to lose the weight as well? Or were you quite alone in that? No, I was very alone. Uh, all, yeah. all my friends are, in, or at least were in pretty good shape all my, <laughs> in, all my, in my 20s. So uh, I was, yeah, no, I was, I was very much alone. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's definitely, you know, I don't know whether, how, how far we want to get into this, but yeah, I think if people are happy with their weight and they really are truly happy and they're not lying to themselves, then absolutely, you know, go for it. Everyone should do what makes them happy. And for me, I was never going to be happy at, at 24 stone. And, uh, but for people who aren't happy, like they shouldn't avoid the, the negativity. It, it, it kind of, you should, you should be critical of yourself and say, okay, I'm sick. I need to change. I mean, that's what I did. I don't think you should be critical of others. I don't, don't be mean to others about it, but for you yourself, you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and, mm-hmm. uh, I'm likely going to, you know, shorten my life by a significant number of years, but I mean this weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like I say, if, if people aren't lying to themselves and they truly believe that they're happy at that weight, then, you know, go for it. But uh, I suppose the question to ask, would they be happy with one of their kids being that weight? And if so, then fine. Yeah, I think that's a, a kind of important point. You mentioned two things earlier. One was the podcast you'd listened to and you were like, oh, wow, you know, I haven't actually really analysed why... Um, this weight or what was it exactly that you said sorry you said yeah he did no one analyzes their failures why don't why don't you analyze why you continue to fail okay sure so it was more specific to failure so one of the um inspirations for this podcast was elizabeth day's podcast how to fail i don't know if you ever heard of that Um, so she's a fantastic journalist and so she interviews very successful people in all fields about their failures they yeah it's so unique because they come on that's pretty interesting yeah it's really interesting and that's one of the things i started listening to after i'd had um you know kind of these more adverse life events and i i was kind of losing a sense of maybe myself and my values and um yeah how i wanted to proceed in life and what i wanted and so i thought oh that's interesting because i keep looking to people in a sense of their achievements or how they you know have come to where they are but actually part of how you've come to where you are is all the failures that that lead up to that um and some of them are really kind of small and someone will be like oh I failed my driving test and then but you think that's a really a small inconsequential thing and then you kind of you know she asks all the right questions because she's a great journalist and interviewer and then it comes to a point where you see that that kind of small thing at that time actually you know led to bigger consequences um and so it's interesting hearing you talk about analyzing your failures so for you when doing that what was the kind of first step was it reading the book like Goggin's book and and listening so after you listened to that podcast I know you listened to the audio book did you have anything like therapy did you speak to anybody in that sense or was it really just kind of right I've thought about things in more depth and and maybe these are the changes that I that I truly need to make 
No, I, I, I used therapy after my breakup very briefly, maybe five or six sessions. And I mean, it was useful, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't need it. I didn't feel I needed it after that. And I know a lot of people get, you know, a lot of benefit from it. But I, I, I think other than those six sessions, I've never used it in my life. But in terms of, yeah, the, the Goggins book was my therapy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it just gave me a perspective that, you know, I'd, I'd never had before, really. Uh, I'd never even thought about, you know, making myself uncomfortable. I'd spent 15 years comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. sitting on my couch, playing computer games, eating, you know, high-calorie-dense, delicious food. Um <laughs> You know, everything of my life was about comfort, and uh, it was it was just uh, it was a paradigm shift. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I was given that book um, by a friend who's also come on the podcast. He's my second episode, I believe, Jonas. Um, and so I started reading the book, and similar to you, you know, I was reading about his Goggins' childhood, and I was like, this is horrifying, and. Mm. But I was really interested to see what was going to happen next and what was going to happen next. Yeah. And every chapter it was just like, oh, he's defied that. Okay, so. Um, and, you know, there was some kind of very masculine, macho, what, again, I've used the term role model or people that others look to. But I feel like he's similar in, in what you've said, where it's like, well, this is what I'm happy with and this is what I'm going to challenge myself with. Um, I really like the aspect that he was sharing his story he wasn't necessarily, I mean, he. it is kind of a message of like, get up and do the work. Um, but but I think he does have enough introspection in that book. Would you agree that it makes you kind of respect him and his journey and um, maybe ask better questions to yourself? Would that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. Uh, he definitely, and at the end of every chapter, is an exercise about kind of, that are mostly about kind of introspection and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, analyzing yourself and your failures, and so, and his story is just so unbelievable. I mean, it's it's almost you know, if 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 I wasn't for, no, if I didn't know for sure it'd be true, and I just heard about it, I'd say there's some you know, there's some element of doubt here. But I mean, he's he's probably living proof of his own of his own uh, teachings. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the the biggest thing as well. You can see. Again, he's not shy away to talk about his failures. He's not sorry. He doesn't shy away from talking about his failures and things like that either. One of the no, things. No, the opposite, really. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, and I think one of the things that really stood out to me when I was reading it as well was when he was doing the ultra marathon or something, and then he got a kidney. Like he started bleeding because mm-hmm. he basically had a kidney infection. And I think I got to that point, and I was a bit like, "Well, where does this? Where's the line between productive and healthy, and you know?" something that's going to be useful to something that's just destructive. I don't know if you ever got that thought during the book or you did feel that the pushing I, was... I think the message, yeah, message I got from it was we are only using a fraction of our capability when we want to quit or we want to stop. We're only at, you know, 40%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he, he probably, you're right, he probably, like, certainly that where he ran the, that 100 miles and he ended up in hospital afterwards and, like, his, yeah, that that was too far. And I think he even admits that himself. And he, in, it's certainly in the audio book, he admits that you don't do it that way. Don't just have no training and try and run mm-hmm. 100 miles. You know, build it up over time. Um, yeah. Build it up, you know, get it every day. So, 
yeah, I I suppose that that's what I found from it. I was just thinking, okay, well, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm only, you know, scratching the surface of what I can potentially do, um, which is, yeah, kind of yeah. my my takeaway. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I agree with that. I think um, the fact that he put that in the book as well, you know, he would, there was so much in there. It could have been easy for him to just have left that out and thought, you know, I'm not going to kind of go into that because he did in a sense push himself too far but the book is also around the fact you can't really ever push yourself too far so it's mm. a really interesting concept to me and it's not something I never read anything like it really which I assume is probably the same for you um yeah and so I find it interesting that the person that recommended the book to me um actually did the Goggins challenge so he did uh-huh. the run, <laughs> the Goggins run. The 4x4x48, four by four by yeah. Yeah. And so, well, it's actually on his YouTube channel where he does, uh, he's doing 100 things in four years. It's called his fuck it list. I'm just advertising nice. his stuff. Um, but no, it's really cool. It's very interesting. But it, similar, um, this person, Jonas, who's done the challenge, he was kind of telling me about that, that process of doing that run and how I suppose for him, again, it was a, a sense of, okay, I really wasn't, I've pushed myself now and then after he'd done that he did a marathon and then you know since then he's done this kind of muscle up challenge and he's done so many f- things physically where he's really pushed himself and now he's running every day for a year and documenting nice. that and it's just really nice to see that growth as well um, and it's unique most people aren't going to be pushing themselves to that extent and I think that's one of the things when I saw your video and it must have resonated with lots of people is that wow this is an extremely difficult thing to do kind of analyze these failures and what wasn't working for you is that right so yeah what was kind of the first point for you where you thought okay maybe it's time to actually remove myself from my environment because that strikes me as a as a thing that really well, was the beginning of, of a huge change. Mm-hmm. So living living in a food delivery zone, you know, with access to, you know, the Spanish version of Uber Eats or Deliveroo um, was definitely one of the things I, I had picked out as one of my failures because you can be disciplined for 23 hours and 59 minutes of a day and you've one minute of bill discipline. And in my case, I'd have three or 5,000 calories at my door. So I just... That was that was the reason I moved out to the, as I tongue in cheek put it, the wilderness. It's really just a little fishing, really remote fishing village out in in southeast mm-hmm. Mallorca, but that was that was one reason. And then I just I when lockdown had happened uh, in and I was living in London at the time, and I moved back to Ireland for a few months. I just loved being. I lived in kind of also kind of a kind of countryside in Ireland and I just love being back to the countryside so it was a combination of those two um, and having my dog here who just you know being able to go on it and walks Mm -hmm. and you know not on just in the road in the city or you know into nice kind of treks and that that was kind of the the reason to move out to to where I am now. All right okay so you've stayed there have you are you still in the same place? I'm still here until the end of November and I'm moving back to the city at the, at the end oh, of wow. November. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that'll be an interesting moment, won't it, really, in terms of, of changing your environment again. Do you feel yeah. that you've got it locked in now? 
Definitely. Uh, even when I came out of kind of the, when I started talking to everybody again, I did the surprise that you mm-hmm. see in the video. I was, I have the fear of God of missing out on, on like a gym day. So I'll, I'll, even when I was traveling, I've been, in the last few months, I've been to France and Italy and loads of different cities in Spain and Ireland and everywhere I've gone, I've, I've gone to found a gym and gone to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's the same. As soon as I found where I'm moving to here, the first thing I f- figured out was what gym to want to join because that's, that's my kind of grounding as long as I continue to do the gym. I'll still continue to weigh myself and I'll just be very on the ball of making sure I don't put the weight back on. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned around, um, you know, again, I mentioned in two things you've said, but the podcast and the Goggins book. So one of the things, the big takeaways was that whenever you think you're pushing yourself, you can always push yourself that little bit more. Uh, and like you said, he's an example of that. So when you started and you got there, what did you do <laughs> like how did you start mm-hmm. did you have someone to help train you or what were you doing no I'd, I'd been given a, a program by a friend of mine I think back in maybe 2014 like years ago mm-hmm. and it was like a four-month program of uh, weights program in the gym and so that was what I had in my pocket but really I started as soon as I moved here I started walking 90 minutes a day with my dog and I did that for two weeks. And after two weeks, I implemented a 2,200-calorie diet with 200 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a starting point, I didn't know how that would change over time. Uh, and in the, in the end, it didn't change for six months. But that and started doing weights six days a week as per the, that program my friend had given me. And a week after that, I started the Couch to 5K, the NHS app, Couch to 5K. Yeah. And... I started running three days a week. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant. It's like really, I, I've really started to enjoy the running. Um, and I started stretching 45 minutes a night as soon as I started running because I tried to do this app before a year previous. And I I was getting like shin splints and just, mm-hmm. you know, it was stopping me from being able to run. And a week after that, I started swimming because there's a, a pool attached to my... Uh, gym and so I started swimming in the pool doing lengths three days a week and so in the space of uh you know five weeks I built from zero exercise to five hours a day yeah and like you said you you did it incrementally in a way I mean that's still a quick turnaround but you said you played sports and you were sporty and I guess that idea of that person in you that didn't does enjoy that lifestyle as well um do you think you tap back into that quite quickly or quicker than you thought you would I suppose I was lucky that I had weight training at you know 16 17 18 mm-hmm. uh, so I, I wasn't a, be, a pure beginner um, and like there is muscle memory so yeah. I was able to kind of make progress in the gym quite quickly but on the flip side I'd never run like ever other than you know as part of playing some rugby or some tennis but other than that really I'd, I'd never like run track and that's that's effectively what I was doing so that was kind of starting from nothing mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, I I just really what I did is like I, I went pretty fast in the five weeks getting up to the five hours of exercise. But after that, it was incremental. It was every day trying to do one more rep of whatever exercise I was doing, one more length of the pool, you know, um, the couch 5k app naturally uh, makes it harder and harder. And when as soon as I ran my first 5k uh, nine weeks in and I just started doing the same thing there I'd run a little bit more every single day um and it was all all that combined yeah that uh yeah that was what I needed yeah wow it's, it's crazy hearing you say it. it's, it's really really cool to to kind of even see your face and everything like you kind of light up a little <laughs> bit when you talk about it um, yeah yeah I'm, I'm very proud <laughs> yeah it's I can weird. I'm very proud but I would be as well yeah. and I think your story as well is unique in the sense that you know, as I've been asking you questions through this interview, you know, everybody's kind of relationship with food and, and their journey in weight loss is different. But it sounds like something that can, it's quite relatable maybe to many people in the sense that it's not always that somebody has had some huge trauma, for example, and then that leads them to use something to cope. And actually, you know, you've been quite open and just saying, I like food, I liked eating, I had a perspective propensity to putting on weight which it sounded like obviously you did and then I analyzed why I wasn't losing it and I made a huge change and it sounds very simple saying it like that but I think it also gives other people the message that and I'm not saying this any in any kind of rude way I think in some way you are very special because not many people are able to do what you've done in that way Mm. Um, and push themselves to that extent but in some ways you're not special in the sense that you're a normal person um who you know <laughs> likes eating put on weight yeah. to a point where it just wasn't good for you and you lost it by figuring out you know what wasn't working for you and to me I think the conversation around someone's environment is really important um and there's another conversation that I have talking about him too much today but with Jonas as well because um I think at the time we met I was in the middle it was kind of coming out of the end of this kind of psychological struggle and one of the things that I had used which really helped me which I, I resonate with when you talk about it is running always hated running so is he um and so when I was kind of at my lowest I kind of thought well what can I do what can I do to make myself uncomfortable and although I hadn't read Goggins' book, I'm clearly ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what it was, but I just remember thinking back to points in my life where I'd made really positive changes when I felt physically the worst. Mm. Um, so when I was younger, my parents made me initially do Taekwondo and I hated it. And every single session, you know, before every session, I'd be like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And then I'd finish and I'd be like, this was amazing. <laughs> I feel so much yeah. better. I feel so much happier, um, fitter, more confident. And I kind of took it back to those basic principles that you've done as well, which was, well, yeah, how can I force myself to not be comfortable? So I started just to walk every day, I guess from a point where I couldn't get out of bed most days um, because that's how I de depressed I was for a period of about five, six weeks to slowly just those small things, have breakfast, take multivitamins, for example, and you know even if I have to go back to bed I go back to bed but at least I've done something and then it just mm. built up to kind of like you have to leave the house every day it sounds really silly but to then suddenly I was running three four times a week and then I managed to keep that routine up for a good year or so um 
and it and it helped me kind of push myself um so yeah I you know thank you for sharing your story and I guess I can I can really a tiny bit nowhere near as as kind yeah. of you know insane as what as what no, you've that's done great. um but yeah that kind of physical aspects is is also maybe uh, not thought about as much when it comes to mental health than, than obviously physical health, which makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a huge value in, in kind of suffering, um, <laughs> which sounds weird, but I really, I've, I've been absolutely kind of amazed by the kind of how, how much more resilient you can become but through suffering. Um, and making yourself uncomfortable is, you know, uh, yeah, that is kind of a mild way of putting it. Uh, I definitely would yeah. would, uh, would describe my journey as as seven months of suffering. Uh, but yeah, the running, I I I hated running initially, and then as soon as I r- ran the five k, I, I it just I couldn't believe it. I have a video of my reaction. So I took a video every day in my car and how I was feeling mm-hmm. mentally and physically and what I was eating and what I was training that day and I did that every day and when I finished the 5k I did a kind of a a video and I just I'm I am in such disbelief that I've just run a 5k you know I'm still 21 and a half stone which I think is around 130 kilograms I I guess but I'm 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 not sure but I and I ran in 34 minutes and I never stopped even though that's super slow (laughs) and uh I am just in absolute shock and after that I started love running which is an issue because if you know as part of the Goggins book you need to kind of do stuff that you hate so you hate running and Jonas hates running and David Goggins hates running but I love running (laughs) and so it was the swimming that became my kind of thing that I hated that I had to do and I I despise swimming I find it so boring uh, just monotonous up and down you can't listen to music you know you can't there's nothing to break it and swimming uh, 60 lengths every time I was doing it and just hated it and all my punishments so sometimes I wouldn't you know in Spain they have the siesta during the day and sometimes mm-hmm. I wouldn't I would get to the gym late and I'd try and do the pool afterwards and if I got to the gym too late I wouldn't get the full 60 lengths in and I had a rule that if I didn't get the 60 lengths in the next day um that I was swimming I had to punish myself by doing an extra 40 lengths and it, it okay. was the worst that I had to punish myself like three times and it was just the worst I hated it but that was my kind of uncomfortable exercise like as soon as I hit the the weight and surprised everyone I haven't swam once since um, but yeah I should probably implement it again at some stage but it's just uh it's just not a priority yeah I think that's a another really like interesting thing around suffering um, I think maybe you and Yunus should just meet. I think mean, he has a podcast. Yeah. I think he should just go on it. Yeah. Um, well, it's in- funny because he has the challenges as well. And, and mm-hmm. I'd never heard of anyone do that. But I have a list of challenges that I keep on my phone that yeah. I want to achieve, like marathon, like all the way going up to ultramarathon, triathlons, yeah. human flag, calisthenics, like mm-hmm. the Goggins challenges aren't the 4x4x48 yeah. by four by yeah. is on my list. There's so many. And so I found it quite interesting when you were saying that about him. Uh, so, so probably be worth having a chat. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, his link to his websites before I die 100, which is also on Instagram and YouTube, um, is on my website because it's just such a cool thing that he's doing and it's really motivated me as well. I've made a list of 100 things, I'm probably not going to complete them in four years, um, but it's just really cool and cathartic to just written them down. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of those things are physical. So again, what you said struck me. I think I 
kind of found the value in punishing yourself naturally in the sense that you know I had this problem with failure so growing up it was always a sense of you know even academically or whatever it was I would just always be like well if I just do this one more thing and I mean there's a balance clearly but I think that's always been something in me nowhere near as you know far as how Coggins took it obviously or or even yourself or Jonas but um I think there always has been this natural inclination in myself of when I achieve something it's I am always kind of like oh well what if I just pushed it a little bit further um and that was lost when I started to lose my own like I said my sense of kind of self-worth those values and my mental state went down and again Mm. I think I found that in suffering in a positive way (laughs) rather than kind of flagellating myself and suffering in a psychological you know like a negative psychological way kind of that rumination and things more that kind of uh, challenging myself in a more positive way so you know it's really interesting talking to you about that um so yeah and it's the same I guess the same with Yonasi I think he's basically said maybe a very similar sentence to you and maybe that was after reading the Gong's book or it wasn't but it was you know um diamonds are kind of made in the rough that kind of thing and are under pressure and um you know and it's it's not the worst thing to yeah to be uncomfortable and and suffer a little bit but there's not something you're really told in society I don't think normally no I'd say quite the opposite Mm, yeah Yeah. depending who you're surrounded by but not no I, I was kind of brought up in that environment a little bit but nowhere near you know um what you've described um, hmm. And I suppose when you came back and you surprised everybody and you told them what, what you'd done, you know, I guess they can understand, well, you went away this way, you've come back different, probably in, in, you know, in other ways, not just physically. Do they understand? Do you think any of them have taken inspiration from that? Maybe not in a weight loss way, but in any other ways? Uh, definitely. Yeah, some of them, some cool. of them in a weight loss way, and some of them okay. uh, in in other ways. Yeah, they they. I mean, they've all been private, like privately messaged me saying that they can't believe it and so inspiring. And yeah, it's definitely had an impact across. Uh, I'd say across the board, almost with my family. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and do you think that that's kind of really built your confidence in in other in other areas as well? Just just having that kind of experience you've gone out and done it yourself and come back yeah I I was always confident even at 24 mm. stone people would okay. have said how has this guy got so much confidence yeah uh, but it has definitely had an impact on you know my social life confidence that that's probably the biggest aspect okay. um my confidence to meet new people um hopefully it doesn't like you know fall over into arrogance that's what I'm always worried about (laughs) but um yeah I definitely I definitely I mean it's like there's so many things that it's changed Mm -hmm. you know uh like some of the moments you know one of the one of some of the most amazing moments I I remember I had to fly in in May back to London and I flew but it was for a medical thing and I flew over and back in a day and this is the first time I'd been on a plane since December and so I was maybe six stone lighter 
and I oh, maybe more and uh, I sat in the plane I sat in the seat and I just I felt like I was swimming in the seat and that was one of the most amazing things because I'd always been like the seatbelt used to leave a mark on my stomach like I didn't need an extra one but it was like the very I was almost at the stage of needing an extra one and that was one amazing thing and another one was just before I flew home to surprise everyone uh, I hadn't bought any new clothes except for gym gear over the mm-hmm. time and uh so gym gear is just like large or extra large it doesn't like there's no specifics to it and I went in to buy a pair of jeans and the lady said what size are you and I said I have no idea and (laughs) I I used to be a 44 and inch waist and uh she goes I think you're a 32 and I was like no there's no way I'm a 32 she goes no I think you are I tried them on and I was a 32 and so there's been like lots of really kind of special things like that that are really small things you know sitting on an airplane seat or getting a Mm -hmm. pair of uh, jeans that have just been some of the most special but yeah the, the the surprising my family when they had no clue that I was that I'd lost any weight that that was the the best the best of all like seeing my my mom wanted if not as much more than me and yeah. uh, it made on her mind uh, a lot and seeing her face at the door when she opened it like it's my favorite part of the video when I drop the the box that I'm hiding my face with and yeah. and see her her face because uh, she had no idea and oh. like she had been you know very concerned about it for 15 years yeah oh it's incredible and that and also you know you sat here and you know, I just really appreciate you've articulated yourself so well. I've Thank come you. in with some random questions, some strange psychoanalyses, <laughs> just kind yeah. of trying to underpin underpin that journey for you. And I think you've just been really clear about what it was for you and, and how you achieved it, which is really fantastic. Um, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. And is there anything you wanted to say that maybe I haven't asked you about? I suppose the only message I have for anyone listening is that it doesn't matter, and it's for a very niche niche group of people, but it doesn't matter how much weight you have to lose, it's it's possible, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people just, they've put on, you know, five, six stone, they fail so many times that it feels impossible, and it's just, it's not, you don't need surgical intervention, you can do it, like weight loss is actually, it's, it's simple, it's not easy, it's simple, mm-hmm. it's you maintain a calorie deficit, which is the simple part, or, you know, being in a calorie deficit. But the hard part is maintaining it for mm-hmm. the amount of time you need. And uh, if people if people can do that, you know, um, don't overcomplicate it. Build your habits and, uh, you know, put your success bubble in. Analyze the failures, like I said. Why do you not... Why do you not... Uh, uh, keep losing weight? Like, why, why do you fail? And... If you uh, if you do that and put yourself in your success bubble, it'll happen for you, um, and yeah. that's really the only thing I'd like to say. But yeah, thanks thanks so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad you've enjoyed it, and I think success bubble is a really great way of, of describing other elements, including your environment. Um, yeah, and, yeah. It, and that's a really important point. So thank you, thank you again. Obviously, I'll no, link pleasure. to your kind of social media and, and things like that. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.